Hi and welcome to Tech Talks, the People and Planet podcast. On this episode, I'm joined by Hans Moorfield, the CEO at mental health platform Chess Health. Hans, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm doing great, Lee. Great to be here. Thank you so much. Really looking forward to this one. It's, it's a unique um, topic for this show um, and something that I think will probably resonate with more people than um, you know, perhaps what we're anticipating. So thanks so, so much for joining us. Looking forward to your insight. Um, yeah. to, to kick things off, um, share with our listeners the problem that you're solving with the mission um, sure. and what's inspired that as well. Sure. So you, you sort of kicked us off by describing us as you know, in the mental health space. And to be really clear, we're in the space of addressing um, you know, recovery from drug and alcohol addiction specifically. Okay. And the origin goes back to the University of Wisconsin and a professor there about 12, 13 years ago, whose focus was on applying engineering uh, and technology to complex chronic healthcare problems. And he decided around 2010 to look at the issue of individuals who start treatment for drug and alcohol addiction, uh, mm-hmm. who would go to like a rehab, uh, go away for 30 or 60 days to a residential center, get great yeah. treatment. And yet a week later, uh, after leaving, a month later, a few months later, a year later, so often would relapse, very high relapse rates, which would return, which would bring them back to suffering all the negative consequences of their addiction, their impact on the family, their work, their life, their community. And then hopefully someday they'd get back to treatment and take another chance and take another struggle. And so his, his thought was, is there a way technology could help address and reduce that relapse rate and all the consequences thereof. And his thinking was, and in, in, in a sense, the challenge, the problem was that individuals were in this super supportive environment for, you know, 30 or 60 days. Yeah. You know, they, you know, in the, in the States, they go away to rehab. Like they don't, you don't go to the residential program down the block. You're going away was the traditional course. And the problem, of course, was when you returned to your home community in many cases. And, and certainly you might be getting some counseling and ideally you might be going to maybe some support meetings like an AA uh-huh. meeting or an yeah. NA meeting. But the challenge was that you were now returning to the environment where you also were, you know, you, you mm. were some of the challenges that it might have contributed. Relationship issues, work challenges and triggers yeah. and, and, triggers, and other yeah. factors. And you're and at the same time, like everything you've learned in recovery, you're sort of, you know, you, you've lost your network of people to talk to. Your sure. skills are waning. The triggers are strong and, 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 in that, and, you know, inevitably relapse rates would be high. So his thinking was, hey, there are these new smartphones because they were new in 2010. Yeah. You know, they could provide someone who's in a way alone, even if they're surrounded by family, they're alone in their recovery. Um, with tools to keep them motivated, uh, mm. tools to remind them of their coping skills, tools to get strengthen their empowerment, and most importantly, or really valuably, they could give them social relatedness. That through this app, an individual could be connected, who an individual who's feeling alone, in a way, maybe actually alone, or maybe alone in the sense that no one else understands what they're going through. Through yeah. the app, they could be connected to other people who are also in treatment and recovery and could get the strength of their support. And critically, of course, that's what AA meetings provide and other settings. Mm-hmm. But this is now at their fingertips 24 by 7. 
So that was the original problem. And so he went to the National Institutes of Health in the United States. He got the funding to develop an original version of the program, and he got the funding as a as a scientist to mm-hmm. run a randomized clinical trial and say, okay, does this premise work? And he tried it. He ran a trial in, in Massachusetts and in Illinois with individuals leaving a rehab setting. Half of them got the app, half of them didn't, totally randomized. And then they had the app for four months. And then four months later and eight months later and 12 months later, he looked and went back and studied their long-term outcomes. And the this population had conclusively significant better long-term outcomes because of this early additional support they had had, even though the phone and the app was taken away from them at four months, which in a way today we would okay. recognize as, as way too early. So, so the app, the original premise was around helping people leaving rehab uh, to help them, you know, relapse at a lower rate, yeah, uh, sure. be more successful in their long-term recovery. Um, the one, the one that element I'll add to that is that today, there's still certainly individuals who go away to rehab. That's still, a, you know, a course of treatment. But there are a lot of individuals who just get regular outpatient treatment, including with medication. So that they're once they decide to start treatment, it might be that they're seeing a therapist every week. They're getting some medication to help them, and they, in that use case, they still have this need because the example might be that an individual goes in on a Tuesday, they see mm. their therapist, they get their medications renewed, they have a great therapy session, you know, they get reminded of skills, they walk out the door, and now it's 167 hours until their next visit. And no one drops out of treatment during their visit, but it's in those 167 hours when they inevitably, despite all the medication and the and the skills and so forth, they're gonna have their risk moments. Mm. They're gonna have moments that something triggers them. There's, if they're alone and isolated, they may get into a spiral of negative thinking because of all the problems that they've, you know, that they've suffered and, and had. They may, you know, struggle with anxiety or relationship issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if when those risk moments happen, um, there's, you know, some of them are severe, and that's yeah, when people yeah. drop out. And so the today the app isn't just for people who are leaving residential treatment; it's also to support people between treatment visits, to be a complement to their treatment, so yeah. that they're more likely 167 hours later to walk back through the door, get another dose of treatment, get their medications updated, and then we're there for the next 167 hours. Really interesting one. And I, I was watching a, a documentary on, on YouTube actually recently, and it was a, a pretty famous pop star here in the UK who had a, an alcohol and then a cocaine addiction. And he, and he was on YouTube talking about his recovery and then relapse um, yeah. and then subsequent kind of recovery-ish again. Yeah. Um, but like you said, he went to the US, he went away, he went to one of the the, the, the clinics, yeah. I think it was there. Um, and it was eight years later that he relapsed um, after this this group went back on tour and it, it was yeah. subjected to the same triggers, as you mentioned, that he was the first time. Um, but yeah, no mention of any anything other than the the sessions within the, the, the clinic that he went to. Yeah, well, you know, and, and you know, every journey recovery journey is indiv- you know is yeah. individualistic and and people are at different stages and and at the same time it does take you know um 
it's something with you for the rest of your life. It takes yeah. lifelong vi vigilance. Uh, and that's why there are individuals who go to, you know, AA meetings for decades. Yeah, um, sure. and, and then part of what they're doing in that setting is also helping, you know, passing it on. And, and there's a really strong feeling of that. But um, yeah, it's a very, recovery is possible. It's really hard. And so people need all the supports they can get yeah, and they sure. need the support of each other often. Really important mission then. So, so the, the app itself, how does that yeah. work? What, what's the tech that's driving it? Um, there's, there's obviously lots of mental health solutions out there. Yours is very right. specific, as you said at the top of the show. How, how does that differ? Talk us through it. Yeah. So the, the first thing I'll mention, uh, I'll get into the tech. The first thing in a way I'll mention that's different, and it's always an important thing to think about when you're you know building tech is, you know, what's the purpose? Um, and, and so as I've described, you know, our purpose is to complement treatment, is to yes. be there for when individuals are unsupported. So much of the mental health tech that's out there is actually about trying to replace the therapist or the mm. clinician or giving you the ability to connect to a clinician who isn't, you know, across the across the, you know, sitting next to you in the room or across the table from you. So, so much of the tech is around, you know, telehealth, which is which is great. It improves the access. But you still have the issue that when that session ends, what's the support you're going to have until your next session? So I think one aspect is is in a sense the purpose is different. The second aspect that's that really sets us apart, and then I will talk about some of the features, is that we actually aren't just giving the individual software tools, you know, digital tools at their fingertips. We're actually also giving them a community. So mm. inside of the app, they're getting connected to other people who are in treatment and recovery. And in order for that experience, to be safe and supportive and engaging, we needed to have our own team of individuals with lived experience. We call them peer recovery support specialists. So these are individuals who've struggled with addiction, uh, who've now achieved sustained recovery, who've been trained to support each other, to support others. They're certified. They're not clinicians, but they're, you know, what you might also call like a recovery coach. Chess yeah. has our own team of individuals who are inside of the app in a way, yeah. moderating these communities, running support meetings 24 hours a day, oh, seven wow. days a week, every day of the year, because holidays and others are actually sometimes part of the most challenging days for individuals in recovery. And so part of what sets us apart is, is not the software, it's actually the human aspect that we, that we deliver through the app. Uh, the last a couple points just on the software side, um, the app, you know, every day when individuals join, it asks them to check in and give an update on how they're feeling, their confidence in their recovery. Mm -hmm. uh, we Every week we, we assess it, but we ask them a longer set of questions to provide progress. We give them tools on how to, to like learn and practice coping skills. Uh, there are appointment reminders, they can journal in the app. Uh, there, so there are a whole host of features that complement these discussion forums that are really, you know, one of the key aspects, the 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 element that you're not feeling as alone, that there's this community of individuals yeah. that you can engage with, but that it's safe and supportive. It's not it's not uh, the Wild West like a Facebook experience might be. Super interesting. And, and you know, you've kind of touched on my on my next point a little bit about the humanistic approach to this. Um, you know, AI is everywhere. Yeah. Uh, everyone knows that. But you pride yourself on not having 
that to to support the app it's much more about the human uh, side of things what's what, what why why what's the, what's the reason for that sure and, and first i'll say ai is an amazing development and 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 certainly we will be incorporating ai into more ai into our platform we we have a very small touch of it today but there's a key aspect a key human connection that we won't replace with ai so the idea is that when you go into the app and you're in these discussion forums and you're uh sharing you know something vulnerable about you you're sharing about grief that you're feeling because maybe someone a friend of yours has passed from a medical reason or they've passed from an overdose and in, in something like that or you're you're sharing the relationship troubles that you're having or mm. or or you're sharing that you know you're really struggling with cravings and you don't know how to get through this moment um when when you're sharing that you're hearing back from this community but also from our peer team these individuals yeah. that we have who are there all day and night long so no one's ever alone and they can reply by sharing their experiences. They can say, I've walked in your shoes. I've, you know, I had these issues. Yeah. And yes, we could train an AI bot to have their own story, right? But, but if we, but there's this trust that says, when I'm sharing what's going on with me and someone says, I've been there too, you know, I was in jail because of my addiction. I was, you know, on medication, you know, during my pregnancy. Um, that that it's real. And if we ever broke that trust by programming a bot to, you know, be to be Bob the bot who's got a recovery journey, uh, I think that that element of trust is is too important. It, it, yeah, yeah, it wouldn't work, would it? You, you know, right. a, a machine can't empathize, can it? You know, it can do lots of things and there's lots of, you know, ways that it could probably assist and certainly in like large data sets, quantifying things perhaps. But empathy is certainly something that it will never be able to replace. Yeah, but there's also an, also a genuineness, right, that um, you're genuinely talking to somebody who's had these experiences. Yeah. And if you found out you were pouring your heart out and you were talking to someone who was faking that yeah. experience, um, I think they would lose complete trust in the platform. And, and this, you know, this human aspect of sharing, I mean, this is what happens in, in you know, AA meetings, Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. People get up and they say, I'm an alcoholic. Here's what happened to me. Mm. And hearing other people share and realizing you're not alone, you know, is what gives you strength. It's one of the, you know, it's one of the pillars of AA. And so if you found out that all those other people were lying, you'd be like, well, wait a minute, you know, I, I don't feel so strong anymore. I don't, yeah. so, so that would, that's the same issue it with AI. It may have the adverse effect, right? Right. Now, here's where we could certainly use AI. So today, when people use the app, if they say they're not confident, that triggers an alert, we follow up with them. If they, if they, if they show a decline and, you know, we ask them every week how they're doing in the recovery progress. And one of the questions we ask them is, you know, are, are you having any difficulty sleeping? Uh, because that's, you know, could be a warning sign. If people are struggling with sleeping, that could be an early step towards a spiral and, and consequences. Yeah. Now, when people say, no, I'm not, you know, struggling with sleeping, we don't look and say, well, wait a minute. Have they been using the app in the middle of the night? Because if they've been using the app in the middle of the night and they say they're not struggling with sleeping, maybe they really are, right? Like we don't have the sophistication of that logic today. 
And that's where AI could help us. AI could help us by interpreting the data to identify people whose, whose risks are high, who might benefit from outreach proactively, because we do that all the time, but I'm sure we're missing some signals. And sure. so we're gonna add more intelligence to our platform to try to pick up on more of the subtle signals that indicate someone's struggling. Because one of the, the features of our app is, not only are we trying to keep people's risk moments down and, and help them self-care through issues, but our team will reach out to people one-to-one in the middle of the day or the middle of the night if yeah. we detect that they're struggling and ai can help us with that detection sounds brilliant and, and is that something that you guys are planning to incorporate absolutely and we're already sort of starting to identify the places you know where yeah. we would apply that more sophisticated logic the other the other use case is that today when people post in these discussion forums and again, you know, you can think of it like Facebook. People post a topic, then people comment, yeah. then people reply. We have folks, what we call on the boards, who are moderating these discussions all day and night long. And they literally read every message to see if someone says, I'm struggling. Yeah. I've, start, I've started drinking again. Someone says in the app that they're drinking again. That's also a cry for help, right? They're, they're saying, I really don't want to be. I'm sharing this here. And, and when yeah. we see that, we reach out to them right away one-to-one -one direct message we'll pick up the phone we're going to get them we're going to try to get them through that moment the we could use ai to to even faster and more accurately complement our ability to read this feedback so mm -hmm. we will never use ai to replace the individual in terms of the human connection and the the peer we won't create the fake person in recovery but there's a lot of opportunities to use AI for our system to be smarter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, really fascinating stuff. So, so if I'm right, I think uh, you set up Chess back in 2017. Is that right? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. So the um, back. A, well, go ahead. Did you? Uh, so no, I was. I was just going to ask you. I, I mean, you know, you've been around what six years now, coming up seven years. I'm interested to see what the challenges have been um, starting up a business. Of course, there's been all sorts going on worldwide within that time. Um, but yeah, what's been the main challenges and what's been the you know the big takeaways that you've had? Sure. So, you know, when we when this all started and when I joined the team, I wasn't the founder, but I, I took I took it over from the professor. The professor was sort yeah. of doing it on the side, and he had he had a a, a co-founder and. He was also on the side and, and they did amazing work to get it going. But when I joined in 2017, there were only eight employees, uh, some great customers, but some you know very small implementations. And back then, the, one of the challenges was this perception that not everyone has a smartphone. And you know, in the United States, the individuals who struggle with addiction the most are mm -hmm. individuals who struggle socioeconomically, right? So they're sure. you know, they didn't have not the not the rock star, right? It's it's more the individual who yeah. um you know, uh, and, and by the way, individuals who struggled with addiction often since they were 14, 15 years old. Mm -hmm. So they, they, you know, they never, you know, in some cases, haven't completed their education, haven't developed professionally. And so they're struggling with access to technology or that's the perception. And so yeah. the perception challenge was, well, that's a great idea. But, you know, I'm not sure that the people we're trying to reach have phones. Mm -hmm. um, COVID, you know, proved that they did. 
uh, because all of a sudden everyone moved to online and everyone, it was a demonstration that, yeah, in fact, everyone's got, almost everyone's got this technology. The, the sort of second thing that happened around the same time that was, that's been a wrinkle is this emergence of what are called prescription digital therapeutics. Uh -huh. So there was this idea that, hey, technology could replace treatment, like technology could be treatment. And that's, that gained a lot of attention. It gained a lot of funding in the United States, a lot of investment. Um, and we had to carve and create a path for ourselves when we were saying, no, that's actually not who we are. We're not that prescription digital therapeutic that you're maybe hearing a lot about because that company's raised hundreds of millions of dollars. Sure. Uh, we do something different. It's really important. It's a complement to the treatment that people are getting. Um, now, five years after that, you know, emergence, we're starting to see those companies go out of business because mm. their business model never, never succeeded. So our, our largest competitor in that space raised hundreds of millions of dollars, isn't in business anymore. Wow. Um, and, and our role and our fit, you know, has emerged as, yeah, that's a really good use of technology. So that's, you know, that's sort of a challenge that we've worked through. And then the other aspect is, I described our origin story coming out of research, coming out of a university, coming out mm. of implementations in very specific settings. And the truth is, you know, if you want to reach people in addiction, you've got to do it in a lot of different settings and in a lot of different modes. So we work with treatment providers who give our app to individual clients. Yeah. We have health plans who give it to their members. That's wow. a different workflow. We have to figure out how to yeah. do that well. And now in the United States, we have entire states, the state of West Virginia, the state of Oklahoma, the state of New Mexico, who are offering our app to their citizens to help them get through and succeed in recovery. And so part of it has been the evolution of learning how to serve different markets, different uh, use yeah. cases, different targets. And, and, and presumably they would need a different go-to-market strategy, a different marketing strategy as, as well? Yeah, I mean, in some cases, what we try to leverage is that at the end of the day, this, so the key thing there is we need to get the app into the hands of individuals who, who could benefit from it. So the question is sort of how do you reach them? How, how, do, how do you get it to them? And what we fall back on is the, the individual that you're most likely going to respond to if someone says, hey, download this app, is your clinician, your therapist, your provider who, who, who's treating you. Yeah. And so whether we have a contract with that organization specifically, or there's a health plan that works with them, or there's a state that they're in who might sponsor it, we're trying to work through those providers and say, here's a tool to give your clients, uh, to give your patients. If you'll deliver it, if you'll be the app champion, yeah. then we'll get high rates of adoption and it's a compliment to, you know, the treatment that and the therapy that they're giving. Yeah, awesome. Okay. Um, so lastly then, Hans, um, what's next? You, you touched on a, a couple of pieces before, but anything else that's exciting um, in yeah. the offing? Yeah. So the, the big thing is what I've been describing is our technology for recovery, right? For helping people succeed in treatment and recovery. At the end of the day, what we'd really like to make an impact on, and we should all care about you know, as humans, is actually preventing substance use disorder, preventing yeah. addiction to begin with. And so what we're really excited about is late last year, we released ePrevention, which is a solution for the front end to try to reduce the incidence 
of substance use disorder to begin with. And, and here's how technology plays into this. Typically, and I'm sure it's the same in, in the UK as it is in the United States, prevention efforts might be like some billboards, right? Some advertising campaigns. And then secondly, you might recognize that like when you go to see your GP, as you call it, we call them primary care physicians, they may ask you when you go in for like a checkup visit, an annual visit, they'll say, you know, Lee, uh, how much alcohol do you drink? Do you do any drugs? And, and there, there are probably some variation of that. And those are screening questions that ideally this primary care doctor or this GP is trying to assess whether there's some risk or not. And then if there's some risk, they're supposed to give you some feedback and maybe make a referral to treatment. If you were to be honest and say, well, you know, I actually every, uh, you know, every Friday night I put away 12 pints because I'm, you know, getting over a tough week. They'd be like, oh, that's a major risk factor there. Or you might be honest and say, well, you know, actually my wife, my life's falling apart because of my drug use or alcohol use. The problem with those, that prevention effort in that GP setting is it doesn't really play out that way. Uh -huh. the, the, your, your GP, your clinician, they're not really often comfortable talking about drug or alcohol addiction. They get through those questions really quickly. They're sort of sure. hoping you say that you don't have a problem. You, on the other hand, are sitting there saying, well, I'm, I don't really feel like I'm going to be honest and tell my doctor about the fact that I drink so much. So I'll just lower all the numbers a little bit. And so that that little opportunity at screening and early prevention doesn't usually work that well, and it doesn't reach that many people. So many people don't even have that annual visit. So what we've done with technology is enabled that screening to happen, you know, like in a self-screening mode. So you could be encouraged in, in a school or by your employer or in the community, a poster on the wall that says, you know, go to this website, scan this QR code, no app to download, and answer a few questions about your substance use or answer some questions about the substance use of a loved one. And then you immediately get feedback that's you know digital, that's private to you. You get, you get videos to watch that might motivate you. You get the ability to set some goals if you might be motivated to try to be sober, curious, and reduce. Or you find resources and can, can actually make appointments or, or even text message with a peer. And so our goal with e-prevention is to reach way more people, to get way more individuals screened and for them to do so anonymously because they'll be more honest yes. yeah, in, yeah. you know, to sort of see what does the system say than they would, you know, in that uh, human interaction with a clinician who's not really interested in that conversation too much. So- Fantastic, when can we expect this to be, um... Yeah, Ready? so we're we're already up and running. We're uh we're, we're we've got counties and providers who are uh, doing this. We've, the state of Oklahoma, the state of New Mexico are in the process of rolling this out statewide, and we've gone back to the National Institutes of Health in the United States, and we'll be announcing soon that they have funded a two-year randomized clinical trial, so that we can really test this against that you know in-person human attempt that you know, occurs. And so uh, it's going to, you know, it's going to be an effort. It's going to be a process. But I like to say that if if someday we cannibalize our business on the back end of supporting people with treatment and recovery, because we've been so successful with prevention, you know, that's a trade-off we would be glad yeah, to yeah, make at sure. Chef's Health. For sure. Hans, 
thank you so much for joining me. That that's all we've got time for, but it's been, as I expected, super, super insightful. So thanks so much. And um, guys, this has been Hans Moorfield, the CEO of Chess Health. Hans, thanks again. Great. Thank you, Lee.